Hello and welcome to Author Chats, the Quarto Group's exclusive podcast for enlightening conversations with authors, editors, illustrators, and more. I'm your host, Mel Shewitt, and today I have the privilege and honor of talking to Jamia Wilson, author of Big Ideas for Young Thinkers. Jamia Wilson is the executive director and publisher of The Feminist Press. An activist and a writer, Jamia has contributed to New York Magazine, The New York Times, The Today Show, CNN, the list goes on. She's the author of Young, Gifted, and Black and Step Into Your Power, as well as several other books for children and adults alike. Studies show that children ask caregivers 300 questions a day during meals, trips to the market, and before bedtime. Big Ideas for Young Thinkers teaches children to think critically and discuss ideas in a world that needs bright young thinkers. Drawing on influences from ancient Greeks right up to modern-day American writers, the idea of philosophy and who gets to have big ideas is reimagined. Let's talk with Jamia Wilson. having me. So excited to have you. Um, I kind of want to hit the ground running here with our interview. And so I want to talk about how if there's like one consistent thing in your books, it's that you use storytelling as a way of advocating for equal rights across the board. So can you talk a little bit about how you came to write books with this focus and what it means to you to be able to put that out into the world? I feel really, really blessed that I'm able to write books that create the kind of world that I wanted as a child. So to be able to work with illustrators like Andrea Pippins and with a press like Corto to be able to create the books that I always yearned for, although I'm not a child now, to be able to create those for the next generation is healing a part of my younger self, but it's also helping to tap into that fire of curiosity that you have during childhood and imagination and dreaming and endless inspiration and hope and vision for what potential one might have in their life, bringing myself back to that and recognizing that that's something that is a lifelong endeavor and that I can still possess that even though our society kind of pushes us toward maybe being more cynical or jaded. I think every book, every process of creativity brings me back to that inner child um, and that feeling of endless possibility, imagination, and connection. And it's something that I'm becoming very addicted to and I feel lucky that I've been able to create these beautiful books with such an amazing team and with Andrea specifically too. I mean, we feel very lucky to have you. I actually would like Thank to talk you. to you about Andrea a little bit. So Big Ideas for Young Thinkers, which is your newest book, is sort of like a companion book to your previous two with us, Young, Gifted, and Black, and Step Into Your Power, which were all illustrated by Andrea Pippins. So clearly you have a knack for creating books like this for children. What is your favorite part of creating these books? And why is it so important to you to be writing books like these for children, specifically starting these conversations early? I really believe in yeah. social emotional learning and the importance of teaching empathy and compassion and bringing people together through connection and humanity. And I believe that books are a very important way of building that as a publisher uh, and a writer and an author and as someone who counted books among my companions as a child, but also now. <laughs> so um, that's 
that's another one of the reasons. And then to also be in creative community is extremely important too. And to be able to have others who are building upon the ideas that um, one is curious about is I think a big part of what makes life so great to be able to, to dream together in community, to collaborate, to say, you are not alone in this is something that I think is a part of the human yearning and a part of what we all need more of. And so to be able to work on books about the big ideas that we all think about in our lives or that we've all kind of wondered about, but maybe not been able to have our own authority in those questions validated, really inspired the heart of this book and to say, yes, we go to school and we learn and we hear in the media or we read in the paper whose ideas we're supposed to value the most. But inherently, the ideas that we have, our own experiences, our own feelings, our own understanding of the possibility of ideas and ability to kind of grapple with other people's ideas and connect with them and disagree with them and come up with our own, that's also very beautiful and also necessary in order to expand our minds. So this book came out of a tribute to curiosity and a tribute to wanting to talk about what it means to value our own ideas, to trust our own excitement, celebration, and our own anger or our own concern about the issues that paralyze in the world too. And to say that there's no age limit on when you can start thinking about these ideas. Most children start to ask about death as soon as they lose a pet. And yeah. that was one of the big parts of why I also wanted to do this book was to say that I remember the first time I lost a pet and I remember the care and honesty with which my parents took that conversation. And it was helpful to me when I lost my first human loved one later on. And I went back to that when I lost my mom many years later, but in recent life. So also the loss of my mom was a big part of why I wanted to do this book to also grapple with those questions again and think, okay, what do I think about death now? What are thinkers saying about death throughout time? What do I think about why we love? What do I think about in a very sort of politically fraught world we're in now where there's a lot of division and a lot of friction? Is an ideal society possible? And to give children a lot of ideas and to give them a place to think about what other people have said over time, diverse people, and to determine for themselves what they think while also saying, it's okay if you think this today, but you learn new information tomorrow that changes your idea. And it's okay to disagree with people, but here are some ways with which you can disagree with people with respect for their humanity, with consideration and compassion and empathy, and empathy and grace for yourself too. I feel like that leads perfectly into my next question. Your work as a storyteller and feminist sees a lot of naysayers and people who are trying to derail your goals. So how do you remain positive and strong in your resolve to continue advocating for social justice? Thank you so much. I, you know, this is something I struggle with. Um, I'm so glad you asked the question because one of the things I think about why I do write for younger audiences is that writing for the next generation keeps me honest. And I want to say that this is something I'm still learning and growing about. I'm a very deeply feeling empathetic person and human. And I'm someone who, when I say things, I say them intentionally. 
and I say them with deep heart. And like any human, there are times when I say things I didn't mean, but I am someone who generally, if I say something that's out of deep love or deep critique, it was thoughtfully delivered um, or felt before it came out. And so I'm someone who I feel that that's the constant sort of meditation in my life, if I were to take it there, of how I do grapple with experiencing naysayers or critique or cruelty um, and abuse, either in person and online or through letters. And over the years, kind of coming back to one notion of just understanding that the ideas and the values that drive my life and my ideals about justice, about peace, about equality, and about community are far more expansive, far more important, and far more significant than anybody's hate, than anybody's cruelty, than anybody's negativity uh, or anyone's prejudice. And that's what keeps bringing me back to just this fundamental belief of understanding that love and things that are built out of love are so much power, more powerful than those things that are built out of destruction or domination or abuse. I believe that we are enough, that there is enough, and that any sort of mentality of scarcity or domination or I have to have more in order to feel like I'm taller than you is um is a limited way of thinking and a limited way of being and I want to live an expanded life and I come back to that and then I think in my spiritual life I rely on that a lot just this idea that I believe that I am a part of a higher power and I want the greatest good for all and that I also deserve to be in the greatest good and close to it. Uh, and that helps me kind of come back to myself when I am brought off center by cruel remarks or by, um, social violence, by other people's projections. Uh, and lastly, I'll just say community, other people who will say, I love you unconditionally, no matter what you do, no matter whether or not you're being recognized for anything or you're just being yourself, we got you, we love you. And just kind of thinking that those are the opinions that matter most, the opinion I have of myself and then um, that of the people who love me, those are what matters. And for people who don't really know me or who might project their own fears or insecurities onto me, that I can understand that that's their own affliction to deal with versus something that I need to prioritize or make my business. I feel like that entire response could be turned into a mantra a day calendar. That was a beautiful response. Um, I want to talk about that a little bit more, but let's lift a little bit. And um, I, would, we, I sort of said that we would talk about Andrea Pippins and then I got distracted. So I want to talk about Andrea Pippins for a second. This is your third book with her. How has your relationship with Andrea changed? Do you find you guys are working together more closely? Do you find you have um, the ability to give her more freedom to create illustrations how she wants? How do you guys work together? Yeah, I feel like Andrea is just as much of an author of these books as I am through her designs and the beautiful hand lettering that she does. She is offering uh, just as much as I am. And I believe that the power of these books come from the beautiful synergy of the words and the writing and the 
art and the design and the layout. And so I also think, you know, Katie, our editor, and also Carissa, who has been doing our layout and design, all of the love that all of the hands that are put on the book, including your own, (laughs) that love is what translates into making these books successful. That love is what readers feel when they are reading these books. And I think that I have more of an awareness of this now working on the production side of publishing uh, in a deeper way that I really believe that when I read a book, I look at that book and I can see where the love was put in by the team. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, building a community and collaboration. These books are just the perfect example of that. My gosh. I I think it's, it's amazing. And I love that it's a community of people all over the world. I mean, that's something I love about working with Cordo and knowing, Oh, wow, these books are resonating all over the world. And, um, that Andrea and I are working in Stockholm in the U S and we're working with teams in England and in Massachusetts and in New York <laughs> and that's yeah, somehow really cool. Isn't it really cool? And that when people read the books, they can feel that it's very much just written exactly for them. And I love that feeling as a reader too. Like, Oh, this was written exactly for me. Right. <laughs> um, no matter where you are. So you could be in North Carolina, you know, where my family's from and get this book and feel like they wrote this exactly for my context here. And, and not known that the book, you know, has flown many miles across the pond and been touched by many loving hands with lots of thoughtful care. Very thoughtful care. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so to switch gears a little bit, um, for a young child who is of the global majority, who's intimidated about the idea of jumping into the deep end of the activist pool, if you will, what mm-hmm. advice would you give that child? What small, you know, maybe daily actions can children take to promote equality and lift up marginalized voices? Oh, I love that so much. You know, I think we all, and I'll just reference our book, Step Into your power for a minute. We all have unique strengths that we can tap into. And that's what I like to ask people to do is to really lean into what is it that you feel is your sense of purpose? What gives you a sense of purpose and joy? And you know that that's something that you offer to the world and offer to yourself that shines through. And then that is the the intervention. That is the direction to lead from. So that's how I found writing as someone who thought, oh, I understand that I have a way with words that I am able to communicate with people and I am able to connect with them, sometimes move hearts and minds, sometimes um, maybe even have opinions that people will disagree with, but it'll shift something for them somehow. And that's how I got into deciding that my activism was going to be largely engaged in that through speaking, through writing, through helping others speak and write in service of social goals. And as a young person, I did that in writing camp, in working in the school newspaper, by starting clubs, by doing uh, letter writing campaigns. I remember writing letters to people in prison and writing to free political con- uh, political wow. prisoners of conscience um, when I was in high school. And, you know, all of those things now, I think, oh, this came back to me thinking about how a tool that I had been developing, but something that was something I'm good at and that I can contribute, uh, has been a part of my activism the whole time. And then I also think, you know, just extending your hand to others to show solidarity, to show others that 
they're not alone is one simple thing you can do. If you see bullying happen at school, disrupt it. If you see someone sitting alone who's the new kid in school who is being alienated because they're different, connect with them. Ask to eat lunch. Ask how you can support. If you want to talk about issues that you feel are not being brought up at school, ask if they can create a book club about them. If you can start a club, ask if you can do an assembly and lead an assembly about an issue that you care about. Start your own march. All those kinds of things are a lot of the different things that people can do and think about which one feels most comfortable to you. I think it can be just as revolutionary to be the one person sitting silently with your sign as it would be to do a letter writing campaign. It's really about the spirit of the offering that builds together with other people's offerings and collective power. And I want young people to really think about what it is that they do best and what it is that makes them feel the most free and whole. And then leading with that when they decide what they do. Um, I mean, as we're talking, I'm looking at some buttons that I have. And one of the things I was reminded of is I used to just make buttons. I got my mom to get me a button maker. And so I would wear buttons with political slogans at school and give them to people. That's amazing. And, you know, that's something that is a historic way that people got involved from the anti-lynching movement in the United States to the civil rights movement to now political buttons. So um, the suffragist movement as well. So I think just really thinking about what is it you can do? If you're a good artist, make a poster. If you are a good singer, create a protest anthem. (laughs) And if you're good at video, edit video mashups and do a YouTube. There's so many different ways to get involved and there's no right or wrong way or better way. It's just the way that you and your community express themselves is just as valuable. Yeah. I mean, there's room for everybody. I love that lead your own March. I feel like that's one of the most powerful things you've said. Thank you. It's very interesting. And you are sort of leading your own march. You've got Feminist Press. Can you tell us a little bit about Feminist Press and some of your speaking engagements? Sure. Thank you. So Feminist Press is a feminist publisher. We're based at the City University of New York, and we have been in existence as the longest-running feminist publisher in the world since 1970. So that was 10 years before I was born. And we publish books that ignite movements and social transformation. And we've been doing that for 50 years. This is our 50th birthday this year. And we do a lot to celebrate our legacy and our backlist and how those books have informed feminist conversation then and now, while also uplifting the insurgent and marginalized voices from around the world today with the goal of building a more just future. And so what I like about it is that what we're doing at Feminist Press is building on this legacy that our founder, Florence Howe, had when she started the press uh, 50 years ago to create a world where everyone recognizes themselves in a book. That is our goal. And it's really exciting for us to think about how the second wave feminist ideals that led Florence Howe to start Feminist Press by unearthing the classic works that had been forgotten or cast aside because they'd been written by women, um, such as Zora Neale Hurston or Charlotte Perkins Gilman, who wrote The Yellow Wallpaper, to 
paving the way for books by Barbara Ehrenreich and Grace Paley and Amma Atu Aidu and Polly Marshall and Anita Hill and many, many others who have defined feminism for now 50 years, half a century and beyond in terms of the books that we unearthed that came even before that. So we are talking about the power of feminist publishing because feminist publishing needed to exist then and still needs to exist now. Uh, When we started, our founder thought that we would cease to exist in 10 years because she thought that publishing writ large would get it and we would be out of a job. Hmm. But we still have much work to do (laughs) and that's why we exist. And, um, and it's a really joy to work with this team and to be creating the books that the world needs and to be a place of discovery and to continue to push the conversation, um, with these beautiful books, but also for us, it's about the books, but it's also about author care for insurgent and marginalized voices who are a big part of our community and necessary for the work. And um, we, we deeply take seriously those relationships we have with our authors, too, who are part of our family. Are you working on anything now, hopefully with Quarto, um, that you yes. can tell us about? Yes. So um, Corto and I are working on a book about feminism and uh, for young adult readers, I still am not sure if we're a hundred percent solidified on the title yet. I don't think we are. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, you know, I am going to just do a little teaser there, but I'm really excited. I'm, I'm writing that um, right now and uh, have been feeling my nights and weekends um, working on that and I'm, I'm really excited about it and really excited about some of the fun things we're thinking about for the cover and also the topics and I guess one teaser is the thing I'm thinking about throughout this is kind of like what are the things that we have to think feminism for that we may not necessarily know that thanks to feminism we have And thanks to feminism, we will keep. And thanks to feminism, we will get. (laughs) Um, And so I'm I'm really pumped and just love working with this team. And also excited to work with a new imprint at Cordo. So that's exciting. It is a new imprint for you. I didn't think about that. That's exciting. Which I know sounds really nerdy from a publishing perspective. I mean, you're talking to somebody who's in publishing, so I don't think that's nerdy at all. Yes. (laughs) It was funny because I was just at a dinner after one of my speaking engagements, because you had just mentioned those the other night with other publishing folks from HarperCollins and Penguin Random House the other day. And I was thinking about if like aliens flew in from Mars and heard us having our conversation, what would they think? They'd be amazed and impressed. (laughs) I love that. I I love that, you know, that we were, we were deeply knowledgeable about all the things happening in the industry and, you know, talking about all these latest books that were coming out. And I just thought, wow, I just like need to be meeting with these people more often. And we should probably have our own book club because we're all reading and we're all loving on books all day long that we need more of this. As all aliens and humans should be. Yes. (laughs) I've got one final question before I let you go. Many of our listeners are librarians and I would love for you to tell them, do you remember the first book that you remember checking out of the library and what does it mean to you to have your books available widely in libraries? Mm, My goodness. I, you know, I, I think a snowy day. Oh, good one. I think that is the first one I remember. Um, 
being checked out of the library, um, for me, I just think that that cover or the snowy day, the snowy day by Ezra Jack Keats. Um, and part of it, I think was because it had a beautiful black child in orange on the cover and orange is my favorite color. So I remember saying, mom, I've got to get that book. And I think we ended up getting a copy bought that they bought me the book after we checked it out. Um, but I just remember loving that book so much. And, um, part of it was because I was born in South Carolina. And so I had seen my first snowfall. That was a very quick sort of, if you'd blinked, you would have missed it. Snowfall (laughs) South Carolina (laughs) that melted away in the next day with 60 degrees, but that I was so impressed by the snow and so excited. And there was a rainbow and I was just so moved that I remember my mom getting me the book because I became fascinated with snow. It was the first time I've ever seen it. And so when they got me this book and I saw a black child out playing in the snow, making footprints in the snow uh, and doing snow angels, I just thought, well, I have to go somewhere where it snows more so I can learn how to do all those things to make a snowman slide downhill to um, be able to play in a snowball fight. Um, but I became very fascinated and just still think about that day with great beauty. I, I still, I, I texted one of my friends who was there with me and my mom the day that the snow came down and we saw the rainbow and asked her, do you remember that day? It's magical. Uh, she remembered. And so I think the book, you know, it just helped me fall even more in love with, um, that experience. And and now I cherish it as one of my great memories, but also now when I think about sort of what we just talked about with feminist press, that was one of the first times I recognized myself in a book. So I think that's really beautiful too, to think about and how important that is for children. I mean, think of all of the children who go to libraries now and check out your books and can see themselves in a book. Just how valuable that is. Thank you for that. I just got chills hearing you say that. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I got chills with everything you said here because oh. I feel like I have to go through this podcast again and write everything down. Thank you so much, Jamia, for taking the time to chat. I'm so excited to continue working with you. Thank you so much, you too. And I just love working with you all. And I really appreciate your time and the care that you put in creating these beautiful books. Right back at you. Thank you. so much for listening to Author Chats. Big Ideas for Young Thinkers is available worldwide, so please visit your local bookstore or library to find a copy for you and your readers. Did you enjoy what you heard? Tell your friends. Share our podcast far and wide with colleagues by suggesting they subscribe to Author Chats on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever they listen to podcasts. Special thanks to Scott Holmes for our theme music.